Khan. Ricky Deuce, 28 and three years sober, was the night clerk at Mahmoud's Mom and Pop Market. He was a small, leanly muscled guy, and as he sat there, the darkness outside deepening towards midnight, his tight little Irish face looked pleased with where he was. Behind Ricky on his stool, the whole wall was bottles of every kind of hard known to man. This job was easy money. A sit down after his day forklifting at the warehouse. He already owned an awesomely restored 64 Mustang and had near 10K saved. And by rights, he ought to be casting around for where he might take off to next. But the fact was, he got a kick out of clerking here till 2 a.m. each night. That was the opening reading of Copping Squid by Michael Shea. And the reader you just heard was K.J. Middlebrooks. Speaking of every kind of hard known to man, <laughs> uh, we haven't heard from K.J. for a while. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. I love him, and uh, we're so glad to have him back. We are also glad to have you back here at the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and uh, I had to say I had a good time when Patton came uh, and did our show. It was with great. Us. I was so glad that he And it was that. sad that we didn't have a Patton. We couldn't do, have him on our show again when yeah. we talked about Michael Shea. Surprise! Oh, Whoa. no! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Where, where were you hiding? I was disguised as the couch you were sitting on the whole time. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Oh, my God. Guys, I thought it was... thank you for having me back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hang on. Let me... Oh, my... that Dude, you gotta cut out the carbs because my back is killing me. I love my bread. <laughs> dude. Dude, thanks for having me on uh, a, a third Michael Shea episode. And uh, this is this is the kickoff. Uh, this is uh, the backdoor pilot for my podcast, he said, Shay said, that I'll be starting next year. I'm very, very excited. Um, so, yeah. Third Michael Shay story. Third Michael oh, Shay. Oh. Uh, the Squid. title story in the collection, Copping Squid. That's right. What do you think of the title when you first heard the title? Would it mean anything to you before knowing yes, the story? Yes, it did. It was his way, in a very clever way, of saying the call of Cthulhu is the same siren song as drugs. It is a drug, and it is a very dangerous drug. You know, instead of copping, uh, scoring a hit, you were copping squid right now. Oh, and, and, yeah. and squid would be like, if Cthulhu, if the essence of Cthulhu, if the evil of Cthulhu could be made into a powder, made into a liquid, the street slang for it would be squid. Mm. What's, hey, what's that guy's problem? Oh, dude, he's, on, he's squidded out. Dude's all squidded out. Or that would be... That, that would almost be like um, slang from the wire about someone who has either been touched by Cthulhu or taken over. Like, dude, the guy's like, it's all squitted out, I just reread uh, Pimp, uh, Iceberg Slim's yeah. Pimp. Oh, really? Yeah, like a few weeks ago. So when this came up, it was just like right in there yeah. with the rest of the dialogue. The moon was a bright white bitch. <laughs> Oh my god! One of my favorite sentences in literature, dude. Fucking yeah. iceberg slim. I read that. Yeah, like when I first moved to LA, somebody said, "Oh, you got to read this thing." Yeah. And I was like, and it illuminated. It illuminates yeah. a lot. So much. Like I just didn't. Was it? I had. And I'm gonna misquote this one. I, I had that that elusive pimp high, and I felt clean and something and beautiful. Yeah. It's just. Oh. It does have great writing in it, but there's a lot of copping, copping girl, copping yep. H. Yep. That's right. So, okay, that yeah, makes blow. sense. Copping squid is what we're doing right now. We start our story at a liquor store in San Francisco. We've got this 28-year-old guy, Ricky Deuce. I wonder if Ricky Deuce knows scat. Seems like similar uh, kind of, uh, names. Oh, he's, no. he's three years sober. 
three years sober is an interesting place for a character to start in one of these stories. I mean, I, you know, I think it's like, whereas in a typical weird tale, you'd have a skeptic mm -hmm. in a modern world, a sober person works too, because they've rejected an unreal life. Right. This is Ricky's second job. He spends his days working a forklift, but the reason he likes this, it seems, is because he's surrounded by booze and he feels immune to it. And that makes him feel stronger. Uh, oh my God. He's Ted Danson's character from Cheers. He oh totally my God. is. Yeah. Same thing. He is. <laughs> He's got a back room where he sexually yeah. harasses. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did you ever have a job like this, Patton? Were you like a, just kind of like a, a late night clerk or? A... I never did anything late night, but I did work in a ticket booth at a at a threeplex in Northern Virginia, where it would be these weird spikes in activity, selling tickets, and then you'd have two hours of nothing, just kind of sitting in the dark. Um, I would pull the shade on the ticket booth and read a book. Oh. And then the next then the next wave would come in. And that's a I, I, I will admit I'm very happy with my career. But there are those times you're like, I would love a job like that yeah. where you're just paid to just go off. And, you know, just you have downtime my and, time for some money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I'm going to sit here and read and drink yeah. my coffee. I had a job like that once where I was a security guard for the Pittsburgh Press. And I had to work the shift with this guy who was a World War Two vet. So he was old, obviously. This is like 91. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, he, but he would tell me all these. I should have been doing rounds, but I was in the booth with him and he was telling me all these World War II stories about because he fought in the Pacific and like how he shot a dude 16 times or something because he was on opium and the, Whoa. you know, like oh, all the guy kept coming. Yeah. The guy didn't stop. He just kept shooting him. And it was just so. Yeah. Was I've he had, doing that in terms of you got to watch out for people who are coming into the Pittsburgh press? <laughs> <laughs> like was it did he couch it in a security guard tail? Uh no. Oh, that's no, I'm sorry. No. I like that character. The um uh scene in the movie Naked where David Thewlis follows the night watchman around, this guy that's just reading a book and he's just doing this insane conspiracy theory. It's this whole long sequence where and, and the guy's like happy for the company, even though the guy's a lunatic. But they're just talking it's such a great it's that same thing of like I'm awake while the world's asleep oh, and I'm yeah. getting, you know. Yeah. The only problem with this job is that as it gets later, the people get stranger. A tall, gaunt black man comes in, kind of youngish. He has something on his t-shirt that Ricky can't quite read. Something rules. Yep. There's where the something is text that he can't quite see or make out. Right. And the guy might be doped up. It's hard to tell. He says, I'm Andre. I need your money, man. Ricky says, what a coincidence. So do I. <laughs> yeah. Then Andre pulls out a knife and threatens Ricky. Give me the money or I'll cut you to ribbons. Ricky pulls out his own knife. <laughs> knife fight already? Don't they know they could just dance this out? Yeah. <laughs> this was the, the 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 other two stories kind of ramped up a little bit. Crazy that they just suddenly started fighting with knives in the middle of the store. Well, again, this is one of those great stories where all of the seeming craziness or all of the seeming wow, this is this is kind of out of uh, the the normal pacing for a story ends up all having a horrifying purpose yeah. down the road a little mm. bit. So there's a, yes, there's a seemingly unmotivated knife fight yeah. that you find out very quickly could not be more motivated, <laughs> right. but not for the reasons that the guy thinks. Exactly. Andre slashes at Ricky. Ricky dodges and slashes Andre's arm. He felt the rubbery tug of flesh unzipped by the tip of his buck's steel. Ouch. Andre stops and calms down and says that he's going to ditch the knife and then he's going to call the cops and say that Ricky went nuts and slashed him. They'll take them both downtown for questions and he thinks Ricky has a rap sheet. Yeah, and the threat gets to Ricky, so he's probably right. All he asks is for $10. And Ricky's like, you made me cut you for $10? Andre also wants a ride into the hood. That's right. The, well, that's what he calls it, the hood. Yes. Capital H. It's not you calling it the hood. No, no, no. Yeah. Ricky is like, I go to the hood with you, and you and your friends will kill me. That is not going to happen. Ricky keeps looking at the shirt. The first word, he's trying to make it out. It says T-H-U something. Hmm. 
Andre says he doesn't want to hurt Ricky. He needs Ricky to do this thing with him and that it is required. And he uses that word specifically. It is required. Uh, He needs two things from somebody else, the money and the ride. Ricky wants to know why he needs him to do this. And Andre says, that's the procedure. There are rules for seeing the one I want to see. I I guess it's kind of a something borrowed, something blue kind of thing. (laughs) But I love how the story just dives right into this confrontation and this debate. Should I do this? I mean, the speed at which it happens makes it a dreamlike experience and more likely that Ricky would actually, you know, go along with it. Right. So Ricky's unsure of the whole thing, and Andre starts to call 911. So he puts his hands up in a surrender. Look, okay, fine. Andre says, you're not making a mistake. You see this thing for yourself, then you'll understand. So Ricky and Andre leave in Ricky's Mustang, and they drive down into the hood. There's just pawn shops and liquor stores. He says there's a whiff of Mad Dog in the air. Mmm, good old Mad Dog 2020. There are clumps of people, mostly in tracksuits, hanging around on various street corners. The streets themselves are totally deserted, but Ricky keeps hitting red lights. Now, he would normally blow through them on a deserted street, but he feels that if he would go through a red light, it would be a declaration of unease to the locals. Eventually, though, he does blow through one of the lights, and he's right. Now the folks begin to laugh and shout things as he drives by. And for the first time in three years, Ricky feels like having a drink. This is his descent into the other world, and he's kind of resisting it. Uh, He tells Andre, give me the address and let's finish this. I wonder if there's this copping energy in the air that he's sensing, like everybody's hungry for something. Mm -hmm. But Andre gives him this wad of bills and says, take that and just drive me a few more miles. And it's around $5,000. Yeah. Ricky can't understand it. Yeah, which is crazy like and it's kind of the most horrifying part of the story because i can't think of anything more unnatural than somebody giving up money it's so weird that you mentioned that there are horrors to come in this story but that moment when the guy just gives him five thousand dollars it's the most horrifying part of the story and there it's the one thing i think michael shea kind of fumbled was way more warning sirens should have started going off in deuce's head when a guy just gives you five grand Mm -hmm. after being and and where the hell did five grand come out you know this this weird seeming skeevy street guy has five grand (laughs) like wait a minute jump out of the car and run away well because you're trying to understand the motivation of this guy you're in with a crazy dude you're like what's up so his motivation's money that's everybody's motivation oh wait it's not like this isn't about money Uh what what could it be about then and then that is what is really unnerving and like recruitment into any kind of cult or into any kind of drug lifestyle I mean there's steps that are taken and it seems like Andre is leading him through them very carefully. Yeah. He tells him here, you come in, you watch me connect. This is what the five grand is for, by the mm-hmm. way. He says, you get the five grand, the only catch to it is you have to come in with me, which wasn't part of the deal before. Right. Then he says, you come in, you watch me connect, and you go out again, scot-free, no harm, no strings attached. I got to bring blood money, and I got to bring a witness. I lied to you. It wasn't the ride I needed. It was a witness. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that the the cult the cult recruitment aspect of this is incidental to Andre getting what he wants. In other words, I want to commune with this thing. Mm-hmm. So if the requirements are blood and uh, an exchange of money and a witness, I'll get those things. Whatever happens to Ricky after this, I don't care Doesn't because matter. I'm I need to be absorbed and I need to commune. This is about me at this point. Although if you were, if you think about it, that's an even more effective cult recruitment if you show something, you give someone a glimpse of something that is so much bigger than them that you don't even care if you recruit them or not, you know? Mm. And and it makes people go, 
wait, what is this thing that someone is willing to give up that kind of money and that kind of blood and that kind of pain for? Mm -hmm. You know, there is something weirdly intriguing about that. And clearly that's happened a lot here because a character we meet at the end of the story, I think, had that experience where he witnessed it but decided not to participate. Yes, although now he... Yes, well, we can get to we'll that. Get to that. Yeah, we will get to that. Made me think of yes, that. Yes, that is that. actually interesting that you bring that. Okay, yeah, we'll get to that. So all these people start coming out to the car, and Ricky's getting nervous. Andre says, "Richie, I'm gonna." Sh-. And he keeps getting his yeah, name he keeps wrong. Yeah, Richie. Uh, he goes, "Richie, I'm gonna show you the power and the glory. Learn from these fools. Learn their awe, man. Because what I'm gonna show you up in those hills is awe." Andre jumps out and he makes a big show, tells people that he's going to show them something real. Ricky's angle was still too acute to let him decipher exactly who it was who ruled. But all these encircling faces, they seemed to know. They shared a vision of awe and terror and something like hope, a frosty hope, endlessly remote, but hope. Ricky realized that there prevailed on these mean streets a consensus, a vision. He clearly saw that all these eyes had seen and understood a catastrophic spectacle beyond his own imagining. Andre barked, hoarse and brutish as a sea lion. Just look at me here. I have gone up to see him and I have looked through his eyes and I have been where he is time without end and I'm here to tell you all you dearly beloved mongrel dogs of mine I'm here to tell you that it's consumed me my flesh and my time have been blown off my bones by the searing winds of his breath I'm not far off now from eternity not far off from infinity now Then Andre lifts up his shirt and it says that his thorax on its left was fine, but along his right side, his spine was denuded bone, and midriff there was none, and just below his hoisted shirt hem, a lathed bracket looped down, a fleshless rib as clean and bare as sculpture. Michael Shea bone work, man. (laughs) A fleshless rib. Fleshless rib. He works the bone. Well, it's not possible to look like this and be alive, right? I mean, there's actual rib bone sticking out of his body. Yeah, and I get the impression that it's not bloody either. Like, it's because his shirt would have been soaked in blood if that was the case. So it's somehow, like, dried or, like, it's been that way for a long time is the impression that I got from that. Well, it's also that thing of you're showing another one of those, just like uh, the guy was talking about in in the earlier story, and I forget his name, not Nolo, but um, where you're— Ty, you're witnessing a dark miracle. It's horrible, but there is something beyond and something superhuman about it mm-hmm. that, especially if, if you're showing it to a lot of these lives where you're living a life that you're being told you're just disposable, you're going to die unmourned and unremembered. Well, wait a minute. What would happen if I could, I mean, this guy's insides have been eaten out and he's alive. Yeah. So yeah. what is, you know, what is going on there? Yeah, what is, that's, and it's never really explained in the story. So did, is this part of the process of what happened to him or did, then this is what crossed my mind is, did he do it to himself. Yeah, is this like the the most major form of, I mean especially when you think about San Francisco and it was so effective when they remade Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Philip Kaufman version. San Francisco is, it's a great city but it is the jumping off point of a lot of very kooky new, new age beliefs, religions, lifestyles, Mm -hmm. crazy diets. You drink the kombucha, you eat this weird you know. This is certainly a crazy diet. But but not only is it a crazy diet but but, um, body modification, scarification, cutting. Who, Who knows that the next generation it'll be body modification of strategic amputations and you know fashionable prosthetics so if um he's just showing off what the most extreme 
body modification is. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like the, the stuff in Neuromancer, kind of, where they're they're yeah. completely altering their bodies and exactly. Really, it, it, it goes ways. back to that scene in Pulp Fiction when Rosanna Arquette plays that that radically pierced girl. Yeah, and of course, she's the one who's really into John Travolta stabbing Uma with that big right because that's the thrill. ultimate like like ooh yeah. yeah all right I could do that you know <laughs> who's to say that she doesn't make like hey we're doing an adrenaline party we're either gonna yeah. pump you full of adrenaline you're gonna freak out you know so so that's that new thing of like maybe they're like hey I want to do that I want some denuded bone yeah I want to I want to <laughs> lift my shirt and freak people out I mean that's that's the ultimate that's the ultimate argument winner at the club if that's you lift true. up your shirt and go yeah. check this out I'm like oh okay that, that yeah. yeah that beats my smurf tattoo <laughs> <laughs> Now, when we finally, at this moment, get to see what's actually on his t-shirt, right? Yeah, it's Cthulhu. Yeah. So rules. it's Cthulhu rules. Cthulhu rules. And Chris wondered, where did he buy that? So, yeah, because my, my question was, well, this made it more concrete that w this world is our world. This is the world yeah. where there are yeah. Cthulhu t-shirts, there are Cthulhu plushies. Thing. If Lovecraft exists and, Gar and Clark Ashton Smith exists, that means the plushies are out there and there's these conventions and... This podcast even is probably going on in this world as well, where we're, we're foolishly talking about these things <laughs> while they're actually happening. Yep. <laughs> oh, no. You're right. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I've, I've, we have, made a has he, oh my God. Has he heard us? <laughs> has the taker heard us? Oh, no. Oh, we made horrible mistakes. Snake not round the taker's leg. Well, you know, again, there is that, it, it's that weird, dark, ironic magic that some people are drawn to. I'm watching an amazing show on Hulu right now called The Looming Tower, and I I'd forgotten that after there was a very huge airstrike, this is before 9-11, mm -hmm. but people knew who Osama bin Laden was because mm -hmm. he was responsible for the embassy bombing and um, it was right before the coal attack. There was a huge missile strike on one of his bases and this was a in the episode of the show, but it was a real thing over in Saudi Arabia, Niger and places like that. There were t-shirts with Osama bin Laden's face on it saying, you missed, that like young people oh, were wow, wearing like, wow. ha. And then there were hipsters in New York wearing Osama bin Laden t-shirts that said still alive. It was more like I'm making a comment about our foreign policy. Right. I mean, people wear Charles Manson t-shirts. I know. People wear ironic um, <laughs> communist t-shirts where it's like, wait a minute, if you wore a Hitler t-shirt, that'd be disgusting because yeah. he killed six million people. Didn't Stalin kill like 20 million? Yeah. You know, like it's, yeah. there's that weird like, wait a minute, what gets passed and what doesn't, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I think because Stalin uh, just killed anybody. You know, he wasn't particularly racist. So his his murder was, you know, he's a cross. What do you want to where I'm thinking of? He's, he was he an equal was, opportunity. Murderer. He was an equal yeah. opportunity murderer. That's right. Yeah, there was equanimity in his uh, in his pro <laughs> programs. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it also could be. I'm going to make a terrible joke. It also could be Cthulhu rules. Like on the back, it'll be like no phone calls after 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they never describe. I don't swim in your toilet. Don't yeah, pee in my yeah. ocean. <laughs> they don't describe. Yeah, they don't describe they the don't, back of the shirt in yeah. the story. So that it's it's definitely a possibility. Now, everyone recoils at this. Ricky gets the Mustang in gear, and he drives as fast as he can. But as he does, Andre just kind of flows back into his seat, and then they're off together. They get away. They drive off into the hills. Ricky says, for all that you've lost, you seem very alive. And he's just as astounded as I am. This guy's alive. Andre says that he's more than alive, and he will live forever. Ricky presses him again about why he needs a witness, and Andre says, because the one I want to see wants someone new to see him. He wants you to know him. And then it's up to you. Uh, walk away or see him like I do. See him all the way. Your will is your own. Only your knowledge will be changed. They get up to the hills and it's a wooded area. Andre points out an old house next to an old municipal water tank. And Andre tells Ricky to cut the engines, roll down to it. 
On the porch, there's a lantern glowing with just dark shapes on either side. Andre says, let me talk to her first. There's an old black woman on the porch of the house, and there's an old black mastiff dog. Andre walks up to her and says, I'm back, Mama Hag. I got the witness. And then he calls to Ricky. Andre pulls out the money and shows it to the dog, and the dog sniffs it and then licks it. Yeah, so I guess the dog is sort of the boss here, or at least the guardian at the gate. Yeah. And definitely there's a shift in reality as Ricky steps on the porch. It, it takes too long to cross the porch. Mama Hag seems further away the closer he gets to her. Mm-hmm. The dog gets up and, and leads them inside. They walk through the house. It's very old. Uh, Ricky smells the ocean inside the house, though they're very far away from it. It seems like they walk for a long time, and then there is a large hole in the wall with a great black arch that leads into the water tank that is next to the house. Along the way, I think he sees that the place has Cthulhu wallpaper or something. It says, you know, braided greedy tentacles and writhing prey and ragged beaks were on the walls. It also feels a little like the hound is pulling them along as they ascend. Yeah. Like the whole the whole trip through the house is strange. Yeah, I get the impression that that is not a literal house that they're in at that point. It's some kind of dreamlike, oh sure, um, between worlds sort of place. The hound stops and lies on the ground, whining softly. And the water tank smells like the sea, and the tank is very very dark inside. Within the portal, a huge glossy black surface appears. Ricky, Andre, and the hound all see the reflection in this black surface. Andre steps through the arch and beckons Ricky to join him. They stand on a narrow balcony looking over this giant tank. Andre says that when he sees you, you can see through him, live in his mind. Yes, you get to live in his mind and see through his eyes, but I think it's at a massive cost, just like how it takes way too long for Ricky as he crosses the porch. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, Mama Hag is way too far away. It's a thing of like, well, if if you have a minute inside this thing's mind, it gets an eternity inside. You're like, it's not a fair bargain at all. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Ricky is like, what if I don't want to live in his mind? And Andre is like, fool, you can't. You didn't pay the toll. And what is the, it's, you know, Andre says you, you didn't pay the toll. You can see it, but you can't live in his mind. What's the toll? Is it that carving of the flag? No, it's well, the blood money. It's the blood money? Yeah. But well, I couldn't figure out what were requirements to get in. Like, there's stuff to get in, and then there's a toll to pay to get the whole experience. Or yeah, something. I mean, there, there's clues in what he says earlier when he lifts his shirt, because not only does he say, my flesh has been blown off my bones, he goes, my time has been blown off my bones. Mm. So it, it's a promise to give yourself to eternity, and Ricky has come nowhere near making that promise. And it's a way that this thing, this entity knows that you are fully committed. I think that is the toll, and I think it takes a long time. I almost think that the eating away of the flesh, like once you give your, your when he goes, I'm my time has been blown away by the winds of his breath, then your flesh can rot away because now you're partially living outside of time. Mm. And so you can maybe live without that, and, and that's just incidental to you going, oh, I give you my time, I give you literally my, my time of existence, part of it is yours now. Yeah. Maybe that's the toll. Yeah, that's good. But again, w- one, of the th- one of the things I think that adds to the horror of this is these people talk in, especially this story is about this guy, Andre, is never telling, he's never just laying it out. He's like, uh, you know, we're going to do this knife fight under false pretenses. Then we're going to, I need a witness. What does that mean? Don't worry about it. it yeah. It's all that. Yeah, you don't need to know everything. Let's just keep going and, and until it's too late. You only get half of it. And and I think it's almost like he's, Andre's recreating the, this thing never told me the whole story until it was too late. And so my, my, my one last pleasure that's left before I go off to eternity is doing that same shit to someone else. Yeah. Now I'm kicking downward. You know, oh, it's the yeah. Cthulhu version of kicking downward in a weird way. Well, what? It's not much, but it's something. Yeah. Because what does he have left at this point? 
So Andre looks into the mirror and says, Ia, Ia, Fatagen. The mirror contracts and bows out. And it's not a mirror. It's a giant eye. <laughs> Ricky is frozen solid. Within the eye, Ricky sees visions, a dizzying mosaic of lights, a grand midnight vision. The whole of San Francisco Bay lay within the black orb. Andre says, I can see it all coming apart. In detail, behold. It's like they float up into this vision and Ricky sees monsters like dinosaurs tracking across the Bay Bridge, praying to something, and then everything becomes clear to him. Ricky knew. He knew this being into whose view he'd come. Knew this monster was the king of a vast migration of titans across the eons of the countless space-times. Over the gale-swept universe they moved, these great old ones. Across the cracked continents they trawled, they plundered. Worlds were the pastures that they grazed, and the broken bodies of whole races were the pavement that they trod. It astonished him, the threshold to which this Andre, night-walking zealot, had brought him. Andre says, oh, squid, oh, squid man. Oh, um, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh, squid man. No. On squid man. Yeah, yeah. Andre says, on squid man. On squid, Ricky, you get big. All hell breaks loose in the back of your brain and you can hold it. You can contain it. And then you get to watch him feed. Here is my witness. Here I come. And Andre bolts over the balcony into the eye. He drifts in, twisting and floating away. Everything around Ricky starts to move faster and faster and come apart. All of San Francisco is being destroyed and Ricky knows why. He knew the hunger of the nomad titans, their unappeasable will to consume each bright, busy outpost they could find in the universal black and cold. Knew that many another world had fled as this one fled draining into the maw of the grim cold giants, each world's collapsing roofs and walls bleeding a smoke of souls all sucked like spume into the mossy curvature of his colossal jaws. Spume. I did not know that word. No, it means froth or foam, especially that found on waves. Ah, okay. Makes but they, sense. So Andre, he just jumped into the eye and that's, that's the end of him, huh? Yeah. Uh, after this experience, Ricky finds himself alone on the porch. He stumbles back into his car and drives away. He has changed. He doesn't know who he is anymore. He was Ricky Deuce, but who is he now? He drives to a liquor store and buys a fifth of Jack. He asks the clerk if he looks strange. Uh, he drinks the booze and he feels nothing. And that's how he knows he's a changed man. I mean, clearly this guy is probably genetically an alcoholic. It should right. cause a reaction when he drinks it, but it doesn't. No. A guy comes up to him and Ricky offers him uh, the jack. Uh, he's described as having Olmec features and Olmecs being the oldest known people who lived in Mexico. So I guess he's kind of like got a, a darker complexion. Mm -hmm. The man chugs the bottle and the guy says, it's not the same, is it? You've been a witness. Ricky asks what that means. And the guy says, you tell me. I know I would never do it. He wants to show Ricky something down the alley and Ricky agrees to follow him. The man takes out his wallet and pulls out a bill with dried blood on it. He says this was money a man was killed over. There's blood actually on the money. And he wants to sell this bloody money to Ricky for 500 bucks. Uh, Ricky says, if I buy it, I still need a witness. Will you be my witness for almost five grand? Olmec did let the sum hang in the air for a moment or two. Then said quite decisively, not for twice that. So Andre got me cheap. <laughs> Just by my book, you could buy witnesses around here for half that. I guess I need to think it over. You know where I hang. Thanks for the drink. And Ricky stood there for the longest time, thinking it over. 
there's an economy emerging about around this experience, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because people are finding blood money and finding out it's worth so much more. Yeah. Than you know whatever the face value of it is. Right. I thought that was such a cool way to to end. We see the birth of this. It's all, it's like how people use tide, you know, instead of money now or something. There's this yeah. like, drug economy. Well, the, also what I think is interesting is is I wonder if that that bundle of money that Andre gave him was given to. Andre, like when he was the before, to get him to be a witness, like I'll give you this money if you come be a witness for me. Yeah, and so that money actually really never gets spent; it just keeps getting handed because it's not just it's not it's a wad of a bunch of different bills. Is this process oh, going on over and over again? Oh yeah, is that the accumulated blood money? Because once people pay their toll, they don't care about that. Just yeah. oh, take it. You yeah, know, they and people just anymore. keep adding yeah. to it. But also, I just love the fact that Shay is so aware of even in the face of a Cthulian invasion. The hustle doesn't stop. Doesn't, no. <laughs> People are going to find a way to hustle. Yeah. The hustle doesn't stop. And if you can make money off of anything, I'll make money off of a Cthulian blood tolls. There's, a, there's an economy there. <laughs> yeah. There would be an economy. And I even think that even if the old ones did pick the locks, as they said in Dagoniad, and come through, the remaining survivors, especially in the street level, would find some kind of hustle. Yeah. Sure. There'd be a hustle. Always a hustle. Always a yeah, hustle. Yeah, man. And uh, that's what brings it so down to earth, you know. All of these stories, the, the, he finds the way the humans, the way the humans react to these things is very human, right? Yeah. Like they yeah. don't decide, I'm going to go to the library and do a bunch of research and come back. And, you know, they, yeah. they have little human desires and needs and wants. And yeah, exactly. That's great stuff. Well, that brings us to the end of, of this particular episode. I want to thank you, Patton, for, again, taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and join us here and talk a little Michael Shea. Guys, thank you. And if you guys are anyone who's listening, read Copping Squid. I will be back in a few months. We're going to do the next three stories. <gasps> so yes. um, get ready to read the next three. There's some really uh, amazing ones coming up, including a weird riff on Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, uh, always one, like that. Yeah, and one, then one called The Pool. And then a really creepy one called The Presentation. And go find Michael Shea anywhere you can. There's tour paperbacks has put his stuff out. The Centipede Press put out a gorgeous slipcover giant, um, the autopsy and other stories collection of all of his best short stuff. He's one of my favorite authors, Michael Shea. And thank you, HP Podcraft, for having me on. You're really welcome. Appreciate thank it. you. And uh, thank you for introducing us to Michael Shea. Oh, enjoy. Enjoy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Great. We're good for now. HPpodcraft.com. Got spume, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spewing. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Spume. <laughs> 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 <laughs>